Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here on another Thursday afternoon, ripping Rabbit Hole Recap with our boy Matt O'Dell. What's up, Matt? What is up, freaks? Excited to be here today. Yeah, we got a quick rip. We got Andrew Chow coming in the studio after this to talk about pre-signed Bitcoin, partially signed Bitcoin transactions. Wow, you figured out a new way to fuck it up. God damn it. Partially signed Bitcoin transactions. Um, But before we get to that, uh, today we're using Clark... Moody's uh, Bitcoin dashboard, bitcoin.clarkmoody.com slash dashboard. For our stats, according to Clark's site, according to his dashboard, the current price of Bitcoin is $7,820. Currently, 12,788 sats per dollar. Um, We're at block height, 612,073. How far away are we from the next halving? He has it listed there. We're 17,927 blocks. Can I jump in here real quick? Jump in. Um, first of all, Clark, awesome fucking dashboard. Uh, really happy to see sats per dollar up there. One thing he just added today, which I think we should shout out every episode going forward because I think it's a really important stat. And uh, it's, par- it's partially because I was poking him to add it, so I'm like really excited about it as well, is he lists the... The capacity, the lightning lightning channel capacity, um, lightning network channel capacity for Tor nodes on the site, um, which is right now it's sitting at 348 Bitcoin out of 858 total Bitcoin in public channels. 340.64 out of 858. Oh, I, I read 0 is 8 because I don't want to like look down on my computer too much. Um, my bad, guys. But anyway, what we should shout out every week is the percentage that it makes up, which is 39.7%. And I think the importance there is because, you know, a lot of people that critique Lightning, and me included, even as someone who is bullish on Lightning, um, you know, we worry about the idea that you have these large uh, nodes that are run by regulated companies that are operating the Lightning Network, where you like have to connect to like BitRefill or something in order to get liquidity. Um, so it's really important, I think, to see a lot of Tor capacity because the Tor nodes can be run um, without a known identity, without doxing your IP address. Um, so people can run them from around the world and help provide routing liquidity to the network. So hopefully we see that percentage go up. Almost 40% is pretty damn good, I would say, so uh, far. I'd say it's pretty material. It's not too shabby. Yeah. It's, uh, pretty, uh, it's way more than I would actually have, have guessed. I know. I was actually, yeah, I was really, I was excited to see that. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Clark. He, I think I tweeted this out over the weekend and some freaks were like, I need this. I want this. I want that. And then like three days later, he's got a bunch of new stats up on the dashboard. So again, bitcoin.clarkmoody.com slash dashboard and Clark, maybe stealing your idea. <laughs> it's such a nice fucking dashboard. Yeah, no, it's so perfect. I've been, I said it as a. Like on, I set it as a shortcut on my phone and my computer. Yeah, it's all my t- like. I don't have many uh, bookmark tabs. Yeah, it's, and then you could just you just click it and you just get everything you need to know right away. Yeah, um, concise. It's, it's fantastic. Check it out. And is Clark's co-host of Bitcoin Matters correct? Is I that Clark? Know. I know he did. Um, he created that one of the first. Uh, not charting websites, but stats websites with Dan Held. What do they call it? Zero something? It was uh, Zero Block. Zero Block, and then they were purchased by someone else. Um, so this is very similar to the vein of Zero Block, but it has way more information. I like how clean it is. It's just very concise, but gives you a lot of information, like everything you could, could really want. 
Uh, that's Shane Kennedy, who's Bitcoin Matters, not not Clark Mitty. Clark. Yeah, so, I didn't think Clark. Shane and Clark. I'm sorry for getting you guys confused. Clark has a blog though that's pretty good. Yes. Yes. Um, I got yeah. Bitcoin Matters, good good podcast with Beauty on and and Shane Kennedy as well. Um, sorry for that slight confusion there. Before we jump into the topics, we got a heartfelt shout out this week, and um, yeah. Let's just read it. We don't know who it's from. This read is for avid Bitcoiner at Average Joe Punter. That's at AVG J-O-E-P-U-N-T-E-R. I personally know with the fires in Australia, he's been hit hard. I won't dox him in any way, but he's a small business owner, works seven days a week, and loves the Bitcoin community. Chin up, buddy. All will be all right in the future. Yeah, Average Joe Punter, we're thinking of you, man. This uh, one really, this one hits home. Yeah. Uh, I love I love Average Joe. He's great. Yeah, he's he's uh he's got the spacesuit avatar. Um, yeah, Average Joe, if you're listening, we're thinking of you, man. Tragic shit, tragic stuff. What's going on over there? And I'm looking on Australia. his Twitter right now. Like insurance fucked him and shit like that. Like really, it's just fucked up, man. Yeah. The um, what's have you? We have an update on the fire situation over there. Is salt was raining <laughs> in a certain part. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. It's fucking tragic what's been going on. Um, but yeah, Average Joe, we're thinking of you. And shout out to that anonymous person who um, who thought of Average Joe Punter. We have no idea who sent that. That's uh, so cool, Yeah. by the way. So cheers to whoever sent that. Yeah. Cheers to you as well. Cheers to you. Um, this episode of Tales from the Crypt is also brought to you by the Cash App. Uh, as you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. And now it's the simplest way... Uh, to grow your money, introducing Cash App Investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stock, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little as much as you want. This way, when your favorite company's stock is just a little too expensive, you can still own a piece or as little as $1. We're stacking slivers of shares. You don't have to if you don't want to. You can still stack sats, send sats, receive sats. Um, because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for transfers, so you can start investing today. Brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. And as always, when you sign up, use the code StackingSats. Uh, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to Owls Lacrosse. <coughs> Download Cash App from the App Store today. Week. Or- week? Yeah. I apologize. Continue. I'll give you a better one next week. Um, this episode is also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. You freaks already know all about them. Uh, they're a Bitcoin financial services firm, uh, really focusing on multi-sig and collaborative custody. They have their Vault program where you can uh, engage in a multi-sig quorum with uh, Unchained. And if you ever need them to sign uh, off on a multi-sig transaction, they are there for you. On top of that, uh, they have their their loan programs. If you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, if you're thinking about selling your Bitcoin, Unchained is there to help you not sell your Bitcoin. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral and get a U.S. dollar-backed loan. So you don't have to sell. As long as you're paying back the loan, you get to keep your Bitcoin. Um, on top of that, they're working on a bunch of open source stuff, uh, including Caravan, which is their open source multi-sig quorum, which if you don't want to engage in the multi-sig quorum with Unchained, you can do it yourself. They've open sourced the tools that allow you to do that. Uh, Slip39, Hermit, or other open source projects they're working on. And then Parker Lewis, uh, uh guest multi uh, multi-time guest multi-time guest what the hell is that repeat guest on this podcast writes an incredible blog called gradually then suddenly all at unchained-capital.com that's unchained-capital.com and thank you for letting me spring the ads on you there just had to fit them in there real quick got it done got it done got it done um yeah and we have to make a correction from last week i forgot to correct you the day after speaking with alex river financial 
um, which is formerly Alto Financial and is the new exchange helping you guys DCA into Bitcoin very easily, is only in eight states, not 48. I said 49, actually. Did you say 49? I said 49. I was that wrong. Yeah. Apologies, freaks. Um, uh, he was also, uh, Alex Leishman was also on the pod with Marty. You should listen to that episode. It was a great episode. Um, the reason I said 49 states is because so many... So many of these Bitcoin apps, including like Escher Hub and stuff, are 49 states except for New York, thanks to Ben Lossky. So actually, that kind of makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, at least we're not the only state that it's not accepted in. Yes. You know? Yeah. Usually it burns. Slowly but surely. They'll get there. I, uh, like I was talking about Escher Hub, like they're, they're New Yorkers. They created a product they can't even use. 49 states can use it, but they can't use it themselves. <laughs> right. So fucked up. Fuck you, Ben Lossky. Yeah, ridiculous. Had to get that one in. And then the other correction I wanted to do was we, sp- we spoke about Fink's chat, and I wasn't sure if I was Sphinx. allowed to talk about it. Uh, did I not pronounce it well? I think you just said Fink's. Sphinx. Sphinx. Sphinx? It's Sphinx. It's like the cat, the Egyptian cat statue. Yeah. Um, and the website is Sphinx, sphinx.chat. Um, and you can, I, now you can, you can get invited to the beta if you put in your email address there. Um, the correction that I wanted to say is I said I wasn't sure if it was like WhatsApp where you could, where the payments were actually being sent over the Lightning Network. They are, in fact, being sent over the Lightning Network. The messages. Yeah, it's it's one it's one sat. Every message is one sat. It's uh, not a bad price. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're paying them one sat. It's, that's just like, it's a one sat payment that's routing. Yeah. Um with a message on it. We'll know more, but it's very interesting flow. I've downloaded the, the beta and the flow is very clean. You can pay in line. Um, yeah, it's just, it's basically, it's, it's P2P encrypted messaging through the lightning network with built in lightning payments as well. So you can request and send money to your contacts in the, in the chat app. I have uh, yet to test it out. I'm going to download that and test it out this weekend. But that sounds dope, dude. Like, imagine if that's like a little Trojan horse right there. It's a little niche app, but it's like end to end encrypted and running on this completely different network. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not completely sold on it yet, but Keto Miner's like super bullish on it, and I'm bullish on Keto. So, yeah, shout out to Keto. So, I'll tell you, the interface is fucking slick. The interface is like absolutely fucking slick. So, I'm excited. I am excited about it. Yeah, I need to. Uh, Get a fire lit under my ass and get on downloading that and using it. Yeah, I think to invite someone, you have to pay 250 sats, and it expires in 24 hours. So when I invited you and you didn't accept the invitation, I lost 250 sats. So you could put that put that on my tab. Put that in my pipe and smoke it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll repay you the 250 sats. Appreciate, What's that? Appreciate like, that. It's less than a penny. Yeah, I don't I even know say. what it is, right? Uh, it'd be like... It's feel like it's, it's twelve hundred for two a dime. Cents, right? I'm thinking of the dime bag right now. I think we got twelve hundred sats it's for two less cents. dime bag. It's two cents. Yeah, something like that. Um, Don't worry, it's on me. Yeah, so I'll sh- send you another Sphinx S P H I N X dot chat. Go check it out. Um, Whirlpool. We talked about it last week. They already released a new version. Whirlpool CLI zero point ten point two has been released. Yeah, this was not as much a correction as a. Um, Further explanation, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in here. Well, first of all, they did release a new Whirlpool CLI. Uh, 
which is it makes it way more stable it's the performance it just seems like it's performing like significantly better the tour connection like everything uh just seems more much more smooth um so if you're using whirlpool definitely go download that um what i want to talk about a little bit more in detail was i was discussing how cheap fees are on whirlpool because i actually didn't realize um, myself even though i've been using it um the the way i meant i the reason fees so the way we're the whole point of fees for these coin join coordination services are twofold obviously the coordinators want to make some money for actually operating the coordinator server whether that's samurai or wasabi this the second reason is because of civil resistance basically like the way you attack uh these coin join services is by putting in a ton of transactions and since they're all your transactions, you can do process of elimination of, of who the rest are, right? So you just send in a bunch and you try and be like all the participants in a round except for one or two people and you can isolate them. Yeah, and we've seen this happen accidentally with like the Huobi plus token hacker or, right. or robber, not a hacker. Right, the plus, the and, and well, yeah, so that's not really necessarily a civil attack, but if, if one big player is putting a lot of transactions in and they're not doing good privacy, then... It's an unintentional civil attack. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so you have the fee there, and the reason you have the fee there is because it costs them money. As they keep trying to add more attack transactions into the mix, um, it costs them an increasing amount of money, and as more people are using these services, that cost gets higher and higher and higher and higher, and it becomes untenable. That's the idea. But you want to keep it... You want to balance there where the fee is not too high to dissuade people from using it, but you want it to be high enough to dissuade civil attackers. So what's interesting about Whirlpool is that because Whirlpool has this TX0 setup, which we've talked about before on the pod, it's one of the things I really, really love about Whirlpool compared to Wasabi, where they, when you enter, a tra- when you enter the Whirlpool, um, it creates all these equal, these, these equal, output, equal amount outputs, um, and you pay the fee there, and then you never pay a fee again. Um, so by doing that, by charging the fee at that point at the transaction zero, um, and, and basing it on whichever pool you're going into, not the amount you're sending in. So whether you send four Bitcoin into the point one, uh, the point zero one, uh, the one million sat pool, um, or if you send two Bitcoin into the one million sat pool, it's the same fee. Uh, so the reason that is, is because none of those outputs from a single transaction zero, whether that's 20 outputs or 40 outputs or 60 outputs are operating on different clients. So from a Sybil situation, they're all grouped under the same user because Whirlpool software, the coordinator is automatically not allowing, you know, uh, you to have multiple, multiple inputs in each, in each Whirlpool transaction. So it handles the Sybil resistance but if you're if you're an actual honest user, you end up paying low fees. It it's not it's really elegant how they handle that. Yes, yeah, so is there are they avoiding like a a fee taint, if you will, um, after TX zero? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, taint's not really the right word. But with Wasabi, you have the issue where uh, the Sybil attacker and the honest user are paying the same fee. Um, in this case, the the Sybil attacker is paying a higher fee and the honest user is paying a lower fee. And you also have the issue with Wasabi that because the fee is taken out every single round, that all the amounts aren't the same uh, across the board, right? The cool thing about Whirlpool's transaction zero is that... That's what I was getting. You have this almost infinitely growing an 
a non a non set because you have every whirlpool transaction has to have remixes built in and new mixes so there's this chain of exactly equal outputs that keeps growing with wasabi they're all little, different amounts it gets a little chopped off each re each remix yeah every round it's just a slightly different amount yeah it either gets made smaller or you have to combine it with some change or exactly like yeah. now wasabi does have the additional fee taint that they have a fixed fee address and that's when we saw with binance um, when they were blocking, when they, they blocked that guy's withdrawals, it was because there was a connection to that fee address. Um, you know, there's ways for chain analysis companies to detect Wasabi without that, but the fee address makes it easier. They just put the fee address in the software, and if it comes up that it paid the fee address, then they know it was a Wasabi transaction. Now, what's the uh, site that helps you visualize this? KYCP.org. Yeah, and that's made by the Samurai guys. Yeah, so you can like plug in your... Uh, transaction use tor vpn when you do that yeah. you know try not to like put all of your addresses in there if you're using tor keep doing a new circuit you can click new circuit and then it it looks like you're coming from a new place um i don't think they're logging but if they were presumably logging you don't want to like put all your transactions in there okay how's the um dojo been running dude the dojo is fucking great <laughs> i'm like super bullish on samurai i think it's gonna <laughs> Uh, I, I, they're coming out with mobile mixing soon. I think it's going to change the game in terms of using Bitcoin privately. It just makes it so much easier. Um, to connect via QR code and then just go on the go. Yeah. And so you're using a full node and I, I don't, I, I, even like just the, the whole transaction zero concept and the way their fee structure works as we just went over, um, it's just really fucking cool. Uh, and then, of course, then they have the post-mix spend and stuff like that. So the idea is like Samurai's philosophy is try and automate best practices from a privacy perspective at the wallet level. And I think that's where we basically have to go if we want people to be using Bitcoin in a more private way. Um, try and automate as much of it as possible because, you know, it's, um, you know, we've been on the front lines of trying to help people use Bitcoin more privately. And it's very convoluted and difficult. Uh, it's been getting easier every day, but with the upcoming Samurai updates, I think it's going to you know, like hit a point where overwhelming. You think beauty on futures upon us where people don't even realize they're using Bitcoin? They no, don't no. realize that they're coin joining? We're, we're still far from that. And even at that point, they'll probably, the first people like that are going to be using horrible services for your privacy. Right, because it's like the for, the easiest way to make this shit easier is to like take the trade off where you destroy privacy and security and stuff like that. You can make it really easy, right? Like look at something like Bottle Pay. Bottle Pay was able, the UX was beautiful. It was super easy to use, right? But it wasn't private and it, it wasn't it was custodial, so you didn't have the R.I.P. Maybe I could see Sphinx making it pretty easy with Lightning. Yeah. All the Sphinx talk has my sphincter a little loose. I gotta take a dump. Uh, I can just continue the pod if you want to go take a break. Nah, that would be too long. I can hold it. This is good practice. Doesn't uh, sound healthy, Marty. Doesn't sound healthy. Hey, you gotta, you gotta train your colon. Um, yeah, a lot of lightning, lightning apps upgrading this week. I think it's because everyone didn't want to release during the holidays, the dead of holidays. Yeah, so right? As soon as the holidays came out, they all released. Yeah, so we have Zeus, Polar, and RTL, all with the uh, new releases, Beta 2 for Zeus which uh, I'd see Lightning support in iOS, which is pretty big. 
Yeah, I don't think Zeus was on iOS before, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were Android. So now they're on TestFlight if you want to test it. I've used it on Android. Uh, Zeus is, is made by Evan Kaloudis, our friend. He was on the pod as well. Um, he runs Bitcoin Citadel with me. I uh, His app is great. It's for controlling your node at home. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much simple. That simple. Um, no, this New York, like the New York squad came out with a lot of updates this week polar which is another uh, new york based bitcoiner jamal um released version 0.2.0 uh add c lightning support uh i'll actually be sitting down with jamal on monday to record an episode with him and talk about polar i'm so fucking bummed i'm gonna be missing that I one i know uh, at least I have a good reason i got uh, the pleasure of having a nice pre-interview chat with jamal over the weekend and uh it's gonna be a fun conversation i'm bummed you're gonna miss it. but you are missing it for good reasons it's Im- yeah exactly it's important that the New Yorkers step up here because the, when you were talking to Jamal, it was at Pierre's going away party on Friday, right? Yes. Yeah, we were all celebrating Pierre leaving, which is a huge loss for us. Uh, we weren't so celebrating him leaving. No, no, no. We were celebrating him be- before he leaves. Before he leaves. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I already miss him. And I all of the New Yorkers have to, you know, we have to step up to to make sure that we. Well, if this week's any indication, big it seems shoes like to they're fill. ready to because. Uh, our other New York friend, Suheb, uh, came out with the RTL release, a major UX upgrade. It looks beautiful. I've been so excited for this one. I fucking love RTL. It's like a must piece of software for managing your Lightning node, especially if it's routing a lot of payment. Yes, you know, I, 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 I don't, is that public information? Oh, I don't know. I will, um, where are we? 2120. I'll take that out. There you go. Yeah, I don't want to dox anyway. Um, and yeah, so yeah, RTL is great. Polar is great. Polar is the dev tool where you're able to simulate the Lightning Network. It's fucking awesome. And Zeus, so check all those out. Oh, and LND released uh, 0.90 uh, beta RC1. Yes, and com- the, the big thing here is the multi-payment, uh, multi-path payment support, otherwise known as AMP. AMP. And AMP. Uh... Who is Alex Bosworth? Was he talking about AMP or submarine swaps? AMP and submarine swaps combined together will help uh, with like multi-channel closeouts. It'll only be one fee, correct? Or something like that. I'm not sure. One of the cool things about AMP is from, well, both from a liquidity and a privacy point of view, right? So you have um, right now your largest payment that you can send is based on your largest channel capacity. When you can go through multiple paths instead of a single channel path, uh, obviously, you'll be able to sell, send, use your liquidity better to send bigger payments. Um, and then the other thing is from a privacy point of view, because right now, all of the nodes on your route um, can spy on you, um, especially if they have a group of them. But if you have multiple paths that you're taking, it becomes even more difficult um, for them to track your transactions. So it's really good from a privacy point of view. The other thing uh, L&D added was this thing that was called... Um, I think it's called Circular Send, which is pretty cool. It's uh, The idea is that you can send a, a circular payments to self is what they're calling it. The idea is that you can send a payment through the Lightning Network that comes back through one of your other channels. So you can, using that, you can rebalance two channels uh, without ever leaving the Lightning Network, right? That concept seems makes a lot of sense to me. That seems pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So you basically just send a payment to yourself that allows you to rebalance. Yeah, it goes through a bunch of other channels and then comes back in through a different channel of yours. 
So then those two channels of yours have just been balanced balanced out. It's almost like a submarine swap, but a different. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's, same end achieved by different means. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Um, or like a swap in, swap out, stuff like that. Yeah. And we talked about this last week, that one of the hardest parts about Lightning is getting inbound liquidity. So that's a really nice way, I think, a clean way for people to get... Again, man, like... Actually, you can't get inbound liquidity, your original inbound liquidity from it. But once you have inbound liquidity, you can keep all everything balanced up. Yeah. It's, uh, again, the uh, the creative ways in which people are finding ways to make, uh, I almost said liquid, the Lightning Network uh, more efficient, better, better uh, a better user experience, and just better overall infrastructure. It's, again, it's a, the pace is... Uh, far beyond, we've said this many times, far beyond where, where I expected it to be. Um, I was saying, I bought a, I bought a, a book that was just like the, the first version of the Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin source code. I bought it via lightning with 60 bucks, uh, payment routed in less than two seconds. Oh, that's from our boy Pedro. Is that Pedro? Yeah. That's his website. I didn't realize that was him. What is that website? You probably use the TFTC channel to to. Did you pay with Lightning or with? Yeah, I pay with Lightning. Yeah, you probably used our channel to do it. I opened a bunch of liquidity for him. Yeah, um, yeah, but he just opened it. It's a brand new site. Yeah, I, I did that like a week week ago. What's the website? It's a really good name. I forgot. It was a really good name. I was uh, I was like ah, you know, as a domain hoarder, I was. Well, uh, it was like hash something, and. Uh, while you're looking that up, I was doing some some data crunching. Pirate on hash. Pirate hash. Such a fucking domain, good domain name. While you were um, looking that up, yesterday I was doing some data crunching on our 2019, at least May on from when we started the site and started our BTC Pay server um, instance, just breaking down all the usage on our site. And it's crazy. Microtransactions are, people are using them. People are using the dime bag. So the dime bag uh out of all the payments that were accepted on our BTC Pay server uh, in 2019, the dime bag, which was 10 cents per um, 10 cents worth of sats per call, was 60.75% of all the transactions that we received, the payments that went through, and made up less than 1% of the value that we that we accepted, which is a pretty crazy stat to me. That is pretty crazy. I guess the dime bag brings it a lot down, you think, or uh well yeah i mean it's just it, i mean it just proved i mean people are using microtransactions that's what i got right. from it um that's what i'm saying and right? that like it is i mean the use case seems there like yeah i mean i think sending a lightning payment makes it's just a cleaner ux yeah and let's keep in mind this is one particular use case uh obviously a shout out's going to go a lot further than than uh than a dime bag purchase right but, but the, most of our shout outs are lightning right uh I think it's like half and half on the shoutouts. Once you get above twenty dollars, it's uh, actually an interesting breakdown between Lightning and on chain. The merch sales really, really prove that point. Yeah, I mean fees are still really cheap. Yeah, um, and then they also some people have a problem finding the Lightning payment on on the uh, checkout flow. On BTC store. Pay. Yeah, because you got to click the Lightning. You have to click the Bitcoin logo on the top, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, many things to work through. It's it's getting some use at least. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just like when I send a lightning payment that the check mark uh, just pops up right away. Like the payment just 
You know, it's just like fucking clean. Yeah. I uh, I just wanted to do a correction. Someone tweeted at me um, that this multipath payments is is it's basically basic multipath payments. It's not full amp. Um, Stepping so. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure what that distinction is, but I guess it was worth shouting out. Yeah. Um, I I remember seeing this, but didn't really jump into the topic. I thought it was one of those uh clickbaity headlines is it clickbaity south korean government committee recommends adding bitcoin product to the national exchange i don't know sounds bullish uh, is it clickbaity i mean they actually did recommend it like what what, what committee, committee is it like what uh they're not gonna add like it's like a president's committee like they were like created to decide whether or not this was gonna happen is my understanding so a mandated committee like yeah. sent to research cryptocurrency and bitcoin Bitcoin specific, it's it's Bitcoin specifically, and like let's be clear here, it's not going to be you know like self custody, uh, Bitcoin. They want to like an exchange traded product, um, where there's a custodian, but traded on their their actual ex- exchange. the The name of the committee is the Presidential Committee on the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Boss, yeah. South Korea is based. Yeah, you know, sounds legit to me. Well. Why why can't we have any committees like that here in America? We need that. I, I agree. I agree. I so so even if they don't actually list it, you know, They're like alluding to the fourth turning in that in that committee. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty <laughs> ridiculous name. I uh, it just shows legitimacy, right? Even though even if they're thinking about it, so that's why I don't consider it clickbaity. Yeah. No. It was. Um, I mean, yeah. It's Bitcoin is on the main stage, and we saw that this week um, with. Do we even have that on the list? What? Iran and everything that went on this week. I no, I so. figured we were just going to riff on that. Like, I I felt like it would be a ridiculous bullet point to have, like, just Iran. Yeah. No, I mean, but like, this week, uh, if people are really uh, looking for the Bitcoin as a safe haven narrative to come to fruition, Bitcoin did move in lockstep with uh, risk-off assets like oil and gold this week, both uh, when the tensions were high and we were... Uh, bombing each other, quote unquote, and then when peace uh, seemed to uh, prevail, uh, it, it moved down and lockstep with gold. We and dumped oil as right well. after Trump's speech. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was reacting. At least it seems. I don't. We've learned in the past not to really attribute uh, price movements to specific narratives, um, but it seems at least. Especially since like Wales could be using the narrative, exactly go along with the narrative. Yeah, but if you want to cla- latch onto that narrative this week, it uh, you can you can use um, some correlation uh, anecdotes there. I mean, look, anecdotally, Sats are my fucking safe haven. You know, you know, I'm not going to speak for everyone else, but when everything was going down and people were just like refreshing Twitter to see like if we were at war, which like by the way, everyone all of a sudden was. Um, a war expert, expert, like a Middle East expert. Dude, on I had Twitter. no idea who that Solemni guy. That was the first time we really had like major U.S. ongoings, like ha- like happening, like military ongoings happening in real time on Twitter. I think right. The last I, I talked about this a lot on the podcast. Last time was 2012 Syria after the gas, the sarin, quote unquote sarin right, right. gas. That was a while ago. Yeah, but in that was while. like the first time Twitter really showed to me that like it is a part of the the geopolitical conversation and if people scream loud enough on twitter that 
politicians will hear. It was definitely a lot bigger now. Uh, no, uh, no doubt. No doubt. And like we that. had like a lot of fake news coming around and stuff, like all different casualty numbers. And like meanwhile, no one died supposedly. Old videos. Um, it was yeah. So let's talk about that. It was wait, wait one second. But okay. while all this was going down, all this uncertainty and everything, the one thing, like I knew Bitcoin was just being Bitcoin. You know, I knew I still had my sats, you know, that that's it's a safe haven just in that innate, you know, there's so much uncertainty and then you just you have you have Bitcoin. Yeah, it's there. Find safety in sats. For exactly. And yeah, especially if you self-custody, it gives you even more. No. Yeah. Only if you self-custody. Only if you. Yeah. Yes. Only if you self-custody. Not especially. Only if you self-custody. That's certainty that you get does definitely come with some anxiety but uh the i think the overwhelming feeling is is security um but back to the topic at hand the events of the week between the u.s and iran and uh i don't know it was like it just seemed like puppet masters manipulating the masses and like doing a waltz on the on the global stage like pre like we were warning each other they were going to bomb each other and you bomb each other in places where nobody's going to get killed and what the fuck was it was all like very there? too symbolic and very choreographed and yeah and then like trump tweeted out like all is well like we're getting yeah. like missiles are being fired at our bases and like we don't know what the casualty numbers are yeah, everybody's like, so far so good <laughs> everybody's <laughs> freaking out on twitter yeah so they supposedly <laughs> i mean this is not really in our purview but might as well talk about it because everyone's freaking out they like supposedly the Iranians supposedly like called up the Iraqis and told them we're going to bomb this joint U.S. Iraqi base. And then they like evacuated and took precautions. And that's why no one died. Right. Yeah. And they droned like the they bombed like the drone area where there was no nobody going to be getting in there. No personnel going to be. It's where the, we launched where we launched the drone that yeah. killed Soleimani, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, but but yeah, yeah, it's just weird. It was just a very weird... Um, I feel like we don't know everything. Let me put it no, that way. No, that's why I actually made a concerted effort not to write about it or tweet about it much because I honestly was like, I've never heard of this guy. No, it seems like the only thing I was retweeting about it was uh, Michael Krieger at Liberty Blitzkrieg on Twitter. He just basically... Uh, before we even started bombing each other, called it out in the beginning of the week, like, be prepared, you're about to be onslaughted with more propaganda more heavily than you've ever experienced. You're just going to be very confused, and that's actually how the week played out. The important thing is that Bitcoin just kept marching on, um, just block after block, and that's just safe haven, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, It was there, and this is a good segue into the... Next topic, which I wrote about in the Ben today, Neil Woodfine put together a great uh, thread of how uh, Bitcoin can still run in an offline environment today, Um, something that we talk about a lot here at TFTC, and Neil just did a a monster thread, I believe it was 50 tweets, going through all the technology and hardware uh, that exists within the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know people hate that word, but whatever, Um, today. And again, Bitcoin, I think... Bitcoin as a project has its priority street. Like we're going to need this hardware um, in the future if shit ever does hit the fan. It was actually like a presentation. He gave a presentation. Mm-hmm. So we're going to link to the video for the presentation and his slides. And then he made a baller ass thread highlighting it all, which actually as like a Twitter user, I really appreciate the thread. 
the thread was well, great. Well, see, as a yeah. Twitter, I only knew about the thread. I didn't, yeah. and I wrote about it today. So it was actually like a video, uh, another like it was actually a live presentation he gave. Um, but yeah, you should all check it out. Um, it's super important. Yeah, it is, and it's important to work on this stuff today and have it ready. Like we say, you want Bitcoin before you need it, and you want this infrastructure in place before you really need it. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You're not. You're not like setting up a sat node when shit hits the fan. Like you have to be prepared ahead of time. Yeah, and the technology to do so is not that expensive. He, I believe, tweet fifteen of that thread. Uh, he showed a picture of one hundred fifty dollars worth of hardware that could have you accepting Bitcoin transactions from the satellite node uh, within a within a couple hours. The harder part is broadcasting. What was really cool because you can't broadcast through the node; you can only receive. Um, but what's also really nice is when you receive through the satellite, it's more privacy because it's passive. Like no one can tell like you're actually running a Bitcoin node. And then the other thing you mentioned, which is I think often overlooked, is like everyone in a community doesn't have to. That's like off the grid doesn't have to run um, a, a, like a satellite connected node. Uh, one person can do that, and then they could have like Wi-Fi repeaters that operate around that, um, that's, that extend the connection. That's one of the key phrases I liked of uh, the presentation is internet minimized. It's never going to be internet free, but internet yeah. minimized. Because we still need to like get the transactions to miners and get the blocks from miners. And Yeah. And um, I had something else I wanted to add. It's more like the last mile, the last 10 miles. Yeah. What the fuck? Sad note, I guess it could be like the last 50 miles, 100 miles if you wanted to. The broadcast is more difficult, as you said. But stuff like Transaction 10 and make it easier because you can go through, you know, mesh and then do a SMS hop at the end and stuff like that. Yeah, and I remember what I wanted to say. Get a little cosmic. Another thing that Neil mentioned in his, in his presentation and thread, Bitcoin is literally flowing through you at all times via these satellite waves. So like if you are in the area in which uh, the satellite is is covered if you, everywhere basically basically everywhere like you literally have bitcoin data streaming through you via radio waves at all time because it's multiple satellites and they just to be clear blockstream doesn't own these satellites they're renting space on commercial yeah, satellites. They, they own channels and yeah it's again it is an alternative and it is a centralized alternative uh, it's absolutely centralized but you can verify the transactions with your own node to make sure that they are according to the rule set that your node enforces yes um so you can verify, yeah, but it is absolutely centralized. I imagine with uh, people like Elon launching Starlink and stuff like that, though, there will be competition for satellite nodes in the future. Um, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, we have tons and tons of different providers. I think, uh, I think that that may be the case. Um, I don't know about this Tesser Q P PGP. This is you. Well, you know CoinShare, right? Of yeah, yeah. CoinShare NZ. He's in New Zealand, right? Yeah. Um, he did the. Have you ever did, met him? I never met him in person, but he did the uh, he did the GoTenna uh, demonstrations right. about a year ago, right? I met him in Riga. Um, awesome fucking dude. Really good dude. So he actually recommended Tesser Cube to me, uh, like in November or something, and it was one of those situations where. Someone liked the tweet from November and it popped up in my notifications and I missed it like in November. I didn't even see the when he had replied. Um, so I was like, well, we should mention it now. Tester Cube is interesting because it's PGP on mobile um, and it's both on iPhone and Android. And it's extremely it, I've downloaded it. It seems extremely easy to use. CoinShare recommended it. Um, I, you know, respect CoinShare, so I was passing on, passing along the recommendation. I haven't used it, like, for, you know, I've just 
downloaded it and tested it out. I haven't actually like used it for a while. It doesn't appear you can verify. You know, one of the things we talk about here is verifying PGP signatures of your downloads to make sure they haven't been changed from whoever created the software distribution. Um, I don't think you can verify downloads with this. I think it's only for PGP messaging, but I might be wrong. Like I played with it for like 15, 20 minutes, basically just trying to figure out if I could verify uh, signatures that, you know, of, of downloads. Yeah. And this is Tesser cube, T E S S E R cube.com. Let's go check it out. Looks, Looks like cool. App. Slick. I haven't played around with it at all yet. Um, you know, uncle Marnie's a, a late adopter. Um, this is something I like the cranking does every year. They release their yearly government request transparency report. And it seems like uh, they're getting more and more requests as the years go on. This is scary as fuck. I mean, we all should know that this is happening. All right. So here are the stats. 2019 global law enforcement requests. They're up 49% from last year. This is Kraken alone, uh, mind you. Uh, and they're and think about where they are located globally. They're because pretty. no one else releases this shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, all getting hit with tons and tons of requests. So again, Anyone who does KYC. The increase, the increase in requests from 2018 is up about 50%. There's 710 total information requests that were received in 2019. Uh, there were 1,222 impacted accounts. 60, 62% of all requests resulted in data provided. It's a pretty high hit rate. And then 28% of requests were non-valid. Uh, meaning the law enforcement agency reached out and they really didn't have any uh, authority or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what they didn't have any rights to the, to the data. Wonder what happened to the other 10%. Um, <laughs> subpoenas, uh, summons, uh, production order, European investigation order, and other valid requests to oh, pick I up see. the rest of it. In the little bar underneath. Yes. Um, so total requests annually uh, last year is up from 407 to 710 from 475. Um, that's pretty big. And then the U.S. leads all uh, countries uh, of requested agencies by far. Uh, 432 of the total 710, so way the over. The FBI being the main agency asking for information. Yeah, FBI, the DEA, number two. ICE, number three. Um, so should we talk about what kind of information they could get from Kraken? Uh, yeah. What information have you given up to Kraken so they can get that right? Yeah. So what, let's talk about that. It's it's deposit deposits, uh, addresses you've deposited from, uh, addresses you've withdrawn to, Bitcoin addresses, um, home address, all this information you gave them for KYC, uh, purchase history, bank account information, uh, all your fiat transfers and stuff. Yeah, and that's I it's uh I think it's a very good point to make the point that Kraken puts out this report because they don't want to do this stuff. Jesse Powell puts this out to be like, Hey, look, this is what the governments are making us do. And I know a lot of you hate on KYC AML there out there as much as we do. And I, I would caution you not to come at these companies as hard as people have in the past and come at the policies themselves. The companies don't like these regulations or policies. That's why Kraken puts out this report to sort of highlight how, um, how arduous it is for them and it like, costs them millions of dollars and let alone the time to comply um yeah i'm trying to find and it, it it hurts the privacy of of their users i mean so this is one of the reasons why using CoinJoin is so important right because if you have a request here and they kraken has to comply and give give let's say a withdrawal address um with that withdrawal address like if you don't use CoinJoin, all 
all future transactions can be can be tracked um you know for varying degrees of probability depending on how you're sending it but if you're just um if you're just completely disregarding the privacy aspect then all of all future and past transactions can can be tracked relatively easily uh, so it's you know something you got to consider definitely consider it and then <clears throat> definitely consider it because you can actually make these efforts fruitless at the end of the day. Another piece I wrote about this week uh, was a blog post that Elaine uh, O posted um, over the weekend. And she basically repackaged uh, a presentation she gave at the magical crypto conference last year and put in a blog post for him and explained that we, we need to get Bitcoin to a point where the rules, the laws that are currently in place are just too dumb to enforce. Like if you are trying to track these transactions in a world where a majority of Bitcoiners are coin joining, it just doesn't make any sense. And the, the cost to, um, to enforce is, is too much. Um, we yeah. talk about this a lot. But. I love, uh, Lane's blog is great. Everyone should be following that blog. Um, she doesn't post it on Twitter, so you have to actually follow the blog. Um, we do have a link to it in the list already. Uh, one thing to keep in mind there is that we are very far away from the majority of people using CoinJoin. Yes. Um, that was uh, apparent even, in the SAT standard over the weekend. Yeah, I'm not sure if we can ever get to a majority, but I think if we get to like a like a critical mass, um, that might be enough. Uh, like mixed with things like PayJoin and stuff that make these... Because when you're tracking transactions through the Bitcoin network, um, it's all a probability game. Um, you know, some some transactions are higher probability that it's the same person like if you send all of your funds with no change from one address to another address that's like 99 percent of the time that's a self-transfer because um, why would you be paying someone uh with no change like what situation is like oh give me everything in your pocket you know like that just doesn't happen in real life um so things like pay join and stuff that break down those probabilities and make it really hard to guess where you know bitcoin changes hands but yeah, just at the most basic level, you send one transaction, then all of a sudden the probability of it being you, while still high, you could be sending it to someone else, just like one hop, you know. Um, but CoinJoin breaks those links a lot better, if you do it appropriately, if you do it properly, which is difficult, but things like Samurai are making it easier, so no, and I really cautiously like, optimistic. Yeah, and that's why I like the framing of Elaine's blog post. It was, it was like, hey, the technology exists today to make these laws too dumb to enforce. You just have to act you have to act yeah and i want to be absolutely clear here um like don't break the law we're not telling anybody to break the oh, law God, no. um it's what these the, these what the one insinu- we're not insinuating yeah any, these these leaks the the, these these links um is is not just for like government requests and stuff right like if if kraken's database gets leaked or hacked and stuff like that then they can also be used against yeah. you by Tons of tons of bad people. This is about financial privacy, like the most basic level of financial privacy. Um, and then the other thing is like, I get a lot of shit about this um, because Lightning is very new, but I do think Lightning is going to help a lot here in the privacy realm. Um, things like it doesn't have any toxic change when you pay people, that the transactions aren't recorded on chain. Um, so a combination with, with CoinJoin techniques plus then funding Lightning channels with those you know post-CoinJoin UTXOs, um, could end up being very powerful here for just like very user-friendly privacy. So I, I'm cautiously optimistic about that, and it's definitely something to watch. I mean, you shouldn't be opening channels without coin joining first, in my opinion. 
Um, whether you, if, even if you fuck up the coin join is better than not doing it. Yeah. Um, I've made that mistake in the past. I will, I will try to be better going forward though, Matthew. Be better, Marty. I'll try. Um, but staying on that privacy tip, uh, another thing that got written about the bent this week. Um, I don't know how much, uh, how much weight we should put into this movement, but I noticed yesterday morning, was it yesterday morning or two days ago? I forget at this point. Um, yesterday. Are we talking about gold? No, no, it was two days ago. I'm so talking it was about two days ago. It was two days ago. I'm talking about liquid tether. Um, so two days ago, there was a whale alert that a trader had moved 15 or converted 15 million tether from the ERC 20 version to the liquid tether version. Um, it was and, Bitfinex who converted it, right? Well, Palo from Bitfinex, um, uh, replied to the whale alert it might have been bitfinex maybe because it was going to bitfinex's treasury wallet right i don't know or it was going from bitfinex to tether's wallet and he said i don't know i'm not positive Uh, i know palo from uh bitfinex pointed out that it was uh um transmuted it was just ERC twenty tether was being removed, and it was they were adding liquid tether tokens yes, instead. Yes. The point they I'm trying to get, them over. The point I'm trying to get here is that this is a privacy gain. Might be a privacy. Well, it definitely is a privacy gain for this trader, and that's a trend that we've been looking at since at least Bitblock Boom when we did the live show. We brought this up. Something I've been wondering. Uh, liquid uh, block streams federated sidechain has. I've said it before. To me, at least, uh, just observing how people react to it, it seems like this ugly stepchild of the Blockstream product suite, and people have sort of been like, oh, who's going to use that? Who's going to use that? And I've always been like, that makes sense uh, with confidential transactions and a liquid tether coin that the traders would want that because you can't track the movement of their funds from exchange to exchange. And Because confidential transactions... Uh, blinds the transaction amount. You can't see how yes. much or what assets being sent. You can't see if it's Tether or Bitcoin or it's Tether Gold some or some other asset, some shitty equity token or something. Yeah. Um, so whale alert's not going to be able to track that that those particular fifteen million Tether unless they're unless they come out of that that side chain. Um, so that was something a trend uh, to stay on top of. I don't know if that's going to be a big trend among traders. It could dissipate pretty quickly, but at least somebody, $15 million is nothing to, to scale out. I believe that's hundred and I mean, it's negligible coin. in terms of Tether outstanding supply. Yes. What did Nick say? Like 800, 800 million billion. on Tron? There's yeah. like 800 million Tether on Tron. It's like hard to verify though. But that's because, because Tron owns Poloniex now, right? So they need a Tether pair and they're, they're making like Tron their exchange token. Yeah. Um, which is, just, but anyway, I just, so just a little backstory here. Tether obviously requires a third party. I would never use it. Um, it's, you know, you have to trust that third party. It's basically custodial. They're supposedly holding the dollars. Uh, so you, you have to just assume that they're, you have to trust them that they're holding the dollars. Um, first, they were using Omni, which was colored coins on, on Bitcoin. Um, then they switched to ERC-20 pretty much in mass relatively recently. And that's because it's just like pretty easy to, to there's more wallet tokens. support yeah it's just an ethereum wallet to receive tokens you know the omni doesn't have i think it's only got one wallet um but now maybe and and then you started seeing them go to like tron and eos and shit now maybe they'll move over to liquid uh it's yet to be seen the thing is liquid itself is basically semi-custodial because it's got this federated 
uh, security models. There's no miners or anything. It's it's a bunch of it's basically a bunch of regulated entities um, that are all, all sharing a multi-sig key. Um, so you when you use Liquid, you have to trust those entities. Um, and even though you have like something like confidential transactions, I'm pretty sure to get out of Liquid, you have to go through KYC. And if you go from exchange to exchange. Um, if you go from exchange to exchange, like you're going from like Bitfinex to Kraken and you're sending 15 million tether, or 7 million tether, like you're protected from like Whalebot seeing it, but obviously like Bitfinex and, and Kraken see it, right? Yeah. Because I mean, you're sending from their exchange to their exchange. It's just uh, an improvement in UX and the fact that traders that are in the competition to trade against, you cannot see that you're moving funds. Right? Yeah, it's, it's just a different trust model with different trade-offs, and it's nice that Bitcoiners have options, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, like Matt said, Tether could one day just not work. Stable coins are inherently unstable at the end of the day. They are susceptible to black swans. But if you are using them and you want to get the most utility out of them, in my opinion, again, I think uh, t- uh, liquid Tether with confidential transactions makes the most sense, and we'll, we'll continue following uh, this story as it, it's not a story, this trend, if it develops, who knows, it could be uh, Bitfinex just trying to, to to get some hype going or something like that. Sats are my stable coin. Same. Well, you, they need to, they need to have the tether ready on the different chains if they're going to support it. That's, you know, that's the, the same reason why Tron has like 800 million on it. It doesn't mean that actual $800 million worth of use is happening on Tron. It just means they want to have that fiat ready. Uh, if people trade with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, another yeah, a lot of Ben topics this week. I wrote about gold accumulation by central banks yesterday. Uh, last year, 2019, was the uh, year in which central banks accumulated the most gold uh, since the 1970s, which was interesting. And they have uh, central banks collectively around the world have old olded have added to their their gold holdings uh since to every year since 2010 um so i wrote that and then some uh some freak out there at uh mining stacks on twitter at mining stacks m-i-n-i-n-g-s-t-a-c-k-s uh he's been making a bunch of cool videos and basically he created a video that tracks the gold accumulation of central bankers over the last 20 years and then uh, pins that against when Bitcoin came to be in, in Bitcoin's market cap. So this video is awesome. Video is awesome, and you it's scary. Speed it up a little bit, though. Yeah, speed it up a little bit. You see, uh, you see the the jockeying for gold reserves. You see China come on the scene, Russia come on the scene. Then in 2010, which scared the shit out of me, uh, the IMF was already on the scene for a while, and then the BIS comes out of nowhere and they take up uh, a good portion that of the top. That was weird. Time. Yeah. So they they hop in and out like in the early 2000s, they come back in the late 2000s. So the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements. The IMF's in there too. The IMF is in there as well. The IMF's a little underling of the BIS, but the BIS is the big the big bank that uh really nobody knows too much about. It's a supranational unelected entity that holds uh, a top 10 amount of gold in the world pretty crazy well at the end they weren't on the top 10 anymore right? probably like, they had just fallen off again yeah they've been in the top 10 multiple times throughout the last decade which is a little funny to me but on top of that it was crazy to see how quickly bitcoin uh hopped on the chart and then stayed on it uh after 2017 yeah yeah it was it, it was in second place for a little bit 
Yeah. That was pretty exciting to watch when I watched that part of the video. I mean, the U.S. has been just massively yeah, accumulating. You, I mean, Russia made a lot of strides. I saw Russia go up a lot. Yeah, well, that's I, I started following that trend early in the summer because I noticed that the biggest accumulators of gold between central banks over the last 20 years have been Russia and China. Like, it looks like they've been playing catch-up. Um, so it seems like, the and it's funny, like, all these central, like, again, 2019 was the year in which central banks around the world accumulated the most gold on record uh, in metric tons since the 70s. And it's, like, all the mainstream media and the central bankers like to paint gold bugs as, as crazy preppers, but it seems that the central banks are prepping themselves. Yeah, right. So are they like the crazy mountain men preppers or is something going on here? Yeah, are we allowed to are we allowed to call them out? Call them crazy? I don't know. It's it's I would say it's a pretty alarm like if you don't own any gold or Bitcoin, like that's a pretty alarming video to watch. Yeah. And it's a pretty alarming trend. I mean, they and if you don't see your country up high on that list too, it's got to be like extra alarming. <laughs> yeah, um, and like it, we and have we have the reserve currency of the world, and we have a massive stockpile that's bigger than anyone else, right? Yeah, it's like five hundred thirty. What does that billion. say? Yeah, yeah. And and this this trend of buying heavily uh, is all post two thousand eight. When last yeah, you see it. We were actually going down a little bit. Everyone was going down, down, and then all of a sudden you see the collapse, and then just everything's... Well, they went down for a little bit while longer after, probably because they needed to sell some and shit to finance operations or something, right? Well, yeah, you had the crash. It- and then all of a sudden, right after the crash, they just start accelerating insane amounts. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool video. Shout out to Mining Stacks, at Mining Stacks on Twitter. We'll put that link in the, in the show notes. Um, and then another shout out to... Uh, some user-generated content. This video is hilarious. This is the weirdest thing that happened to me in a while. I had to put this one in there. You you go with it. But un- Uncle Marty got a shout-out, right? It was like, uh, it was supposed to be, they were like fund managers, right? Yeah. And they were discussing somebody Bitcoin. A, somebody made a video vignette um, discussing Bitcoin, and it's just like a 45, or a minute and 45-second video. Dramatization. Dramatization. Right? Uncle Marty gets a shout-out. Was, that was Plan B gets a shout-out. Hoddle Knot gets a shout-out. Travis out. Kling, safe. It was super fun. It was just a fun video. Yeah. I like that shit. I, I love that stuff, too. Did we give the guy a shout-out? Was Creative L and Run on Twitter? Um, yes, at Creative... Oh, Land Run? Land Run. Land Run. Wow, I, I've been reading that Creative L and Run. But yeah, you're right, Land Run. Um, the other thing we missed here was this Russian state energy company. Oh, yes, we don't want to miss um, this. My, I think Marty didn't want to, he just intentionally ignored it because he, he thinks like America will be the number one mining. Uh, he's very bullish on American mining, so he, he wanted to disregard uh, the Russian mining ops. No, no, I am a, uh, I'm a lover of all mining operations, <laughs> uh, especially if they're pushing it forward and say, yeah, Russia is, this is a, an article by Anna Baidak, excuse me. Oh my God. Baidakova. Baidakova? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't going to try and pronounce her name. It's pretty hilarious. And I'm sorry attempt. if I'm butchering your name, but, uh, this yeah, is crazy because it's a state, it's the state energy company. Yeah. It's a state run nuclear plant. It's renting space to energy hungry Bitcoin miners. Yeah. They're not going to mine themselves, but they're, they're making it as easy as possible for miners to move in and, and take it. They're going to give them cheap energy contracts. Um, and basically, uh, you know, these, these nuclear energy plants have the same issue as like hydro where the power is just constantly getting generated and it's not always getting consumed. Right. So it's really nice to have, whether it's mining or whether it's traditional data centers, be able to 
have constant energy. Well, there's like an interesting, uh, unrelated to mining sort of theme to this this story too, which we should really point out and which should really, um, if you're an American, uh, make you think about what we're doing in this country. So they, they want the miners to come in and use this excess nuclear um, because the it's already being used for personal data centers to store Russians' personal data. They don't want to store that in uh, any servers outside of Russia. So they're forcing the data centers to do it on site at these nuclear power plants, um, which is just interesting to me. They don't want Russia's making a move to take control of their digital well, infrastructure, which actually, that shouldn't surprise you. They're pretty despotic. But. Well, they're, they're pretending, I mean, because the EU's made similar overtures. If, I think they're already enforcing it. Um, they're, they're pretending it's for the privacy of their citizens, right? Like, why do you want to trust, uh, you don't want the Americans or the Chinese to be able to look at this data. Um, but really what Russia, it's twofold for Russia. Like, they'd prefer if they weren't looking at the data, but they they really want to look at it themselves, right? So that's why they want to keep it domestic. And we talked about, recently we talked about how they're having all the ISPs install black boxes so that they can both monitor and shut down the internet on demand if they need to. Going back to Neil's talk, is that's why it's so important to build out this infrastructure. Yeah, so start building your satellite nodes if you're a Russian listener. I'm sure you guys are way ahead Everywhere. Of it. doesn't matter Everywhere. where you are. Yeah, that's true. American, too. It's definitely, it's on my, my list of projects. I got to get that shit done. Me as well. Me as well. Well, that's all for our list here. You got anything to riff on? Um, we have a podcast coming up. What, how, what, what's our time check here? Got f- we've got to go. I've got to. We've got to post this. Okay. Well, we love you, freaks. Yeah. Keep crushing. Peace and love. <laughs>